Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch, rushing! Deep left field! This is way Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy Here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. Up next, we have middle infield tiers. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball Today on Thursday, January 26th. Frank Stample joined by Scott White and Chris the Welsh. Today on the show, we'll hit second base and shortstop tiers. Plus, I want to ask the Welsh about the top international prospects, which signed last weekend. What do we need to know for Dynasty and our first-year player drafts? Uh, for those who don't know, Welsh has a few other podcasts that he hosts, Prospect One, in this league. I join him for a live mock draft. So, Welsh, I'd like to uh, let, let the people know when and where they can find this podcast in case they want to listen. Yeah, we had a we had a blast with it. Uh, this is going to air on Friday. If you guys want to check it out, the In This League Fantasy Baseball podcast. It's a live mock draft. It's very different than anybody experiences. We do audio clips that are put in it. It's very much uh, Scott Bogman and I's brains. So like we might say something and then there's a movie clip that's associated with it. It's kind of a wild experience. And uh, I don't know if you want to talk about it all. We don't have to. But the platform we played on. There's a fascinating thing across the board with it. We don't have to get into it or anything. You can listen to the podcast if you want, but uh, it's starting to get to season where different platforms are opening up and boy, the herd is thinning itself out on where you should be playing fantasy baseball and where you shouldn't. And I'm very happy to be uh, doing a show with you guys here on a platform that you should be playing fantasy baseball on in 2023. Ah, well, we do appreciate that, Welsh. I'm going to leave it there, but if anyone wants to listen, you can uh, go listen at In This League. Scotty, yesterday we put an emphasis on the third base position and the third base tiers. I have a feeling we'll do something similar for second base. Yes, we will. Because it is ugly. It is ugly. <laughs> In fact, it's uglier than third base because third base was, you know, at least had that very strong elite tier that is so important to draft from. You know, probably has to be done in, in round two. But second base doesn't have even that. So it's bad news. Sure is. And that's exactly where we're going to start. By the way, look, these are Scott's tiers, but... I have a few qualms. I, I I have a few subjections, and we'll get to those a little bit later Whoa. on. If, Whoa, uh, Frank. If you'll... If you'll uh, I thought we shared a mind <laughs> and had the same, the same impression of how every position breaks down, but apparently not. No, Fantasy breaking news. Uh, turmoil on CBS Fantasy <laughs> Baseball today between Frank Sample and Scott White. They don't agree on tears more. Podcast. <laughs> Frank, like virtually choking out Scott over the. <laughs> anyway, let's jump in. We'll start with the uh, elite tier for the second base position. And you'll notice something very quickly in this tier Jose Altuve, Marcus Semyon, and Ozzy Albies. Three names. The ADP ranges from 30 to 53. 
That's right. <laughs> no second basemen are being drafted until pick 30 this year. And that first one is Marcus Semien. And then uh, Jose Altuve goes a little bit after him. And then Ozzy Albies a little bit lower down at pick 53. I, like most people, I, I trust Semien and uh, Altuve as third and fourth round picks. But Ozzy Albies is sliding down a little bit here in early drafts. Uh, going about 15 picks after Jose Altuve at this point. Why is that? Some of the concerns that I have heard. I'm just going to throw these out there, and then you guys can react. Where does the power stand with Ozzy Albies in this new environment? He hit eight homers last year in 64 games. That's an 18-home run pace over 150 games. He had 30 back in 2021. You know, the ball was a little bit bouncier, uh, and it was a little bit easier to hit home runs in 2021. He's never been a StatCast standout. His average exit velocity last season, down to 87.1 miles per hour. His barrel rate was 5.4%. Both of those, well below league average. Lineups are going to change, so I don't know how much stock you want to put into this, but the early projection, roster resource has Ozzy Albies batting in the lower half of their lineup. Um, so those are the concerns. With all that being said, just two years ago, Ozzy Albies was the 16th best player in fantasy baseball. So there's a lot going on there, Scott. Um, do you share these similar concerns with this recent Ozzy Albies slide? To an extent, I've said before on this podcast uh, that you know my top priority in every draft this year is to get one of Jose Altuve and Marcus Simeon because I just I don't want to I don't want to have to struggle to fill this very weak position, uh, but I. But I've also said Ozzy Albies is there as the fallback if I don't get one of Altuve and Simeon. Now, so far in our mock drafts, I haven't managed to succeed with this number one goal of mine because all three of these guys go uh, in round three in very quick su succession. And um, I don't happen to be drafting in that range where they go. So it's, it's, and, and it's, and that's one of the frustrating things when you're putting together the tiers is like you're so it's supposed to really give you a guide for where you can afford to wait at a position. And even though this is a tier of three names, there's not you really can't afford to wait at it. You have to draft it in round three if you if it's a high priority for you to get one. Because regardless of what ADP says, my experience has shown that you can't count on Ozzy Albies sticking around there till round or till pick fifty three or whatever it was. Uh, but to get back to your question of are these concerns for Ozzy Albies legitimate, I would say the one for me that uh, I wonder about is is if if that power bat plays in this post-juice ball league since we didn't get a really clear big sample of him uh, in, in the year where it seemed to affect hitters much like him, these smallish middle infielders who put up surprising power numbers during the juice ball era. That's covered Albie's whole career up to this point. So we don't know what he's going to be like outside of that environment. And early returns, even though it was just a 64-game sample, weren't good. I will point out that most of that 64-game sample came in the first two months when it was unseasonably cold and numbers across the league were dreadful. So... Albies was hurt for uh, pretty much that entire stretch of the season where offense came surging back because temperatures improved and everything. So I, I do share some of those concerns, but it's, it's not enough for me to pass him over uh, in round three if those other two in this tier are gone and, and then to just settle for mediocrity or likely mediocrity at second base. It's not enough of a concern for me to do that. There's a good chance, even if Ozzy Albee's power numbers do suffer in this environment with the new rule changes being introduced, the, the limit on pickoffs and everything that his stolen bases could explode and, and maybe that'll cancel it out. Uh, both of those are hypotheticals, obviously, but that that is like he's such a he has such a diverse skill set that it's not necessarily dependent on him being a a twenty five homer guy. And Albies is one of these weird hitters in that he's not a great actual hitter. He doesn't walk very much. 
Um, the batting averages haven't been great the past couple of years. He's very much so like a Francisco Lindor or a Bo Bichette where they have a lower OPS usually, but they have a lot of power. They have a lot of speed. They're very toolsy players. So Ozzy Albee's still 26 years old in his prime. And the fallback is that he's part of a really, really good Braves lineup. So I think the counting yep. stats should be there as well. Uh, well, so I'm going to ask you about this next player who's part of the near elite tier. And it's just one player. It's Jazz Chisholm, who has an ADP of 53, going right around the same spot as Ozzie Albies at this point. We see, we've seen it with Jazz. I mean, the upside is sky high, but he hasn't been able to stay on the field. Uh, last year, only played 60 games, dealt with a stress fracture in his back. Also turned out that he had a torn meniscus in his knee, but he hit 14 home runs and 12 steals in those 60 games. That is a 35 homer, 30 steal pace. Uh, Welsh, are you willing to take the plunge on Jazz Chisholm in round five? And what do you think about him versus Albies? So much so. You guys are probably, Scott's going to hate this. He's my number one second baseman this year. He's my number one second baseman of all these guys. Uh, He is at Mm. the tippy top. My tier is the four guys, not the three. He is in that tier with these guys. Part of... Part of the rank as well is probably built around understanding where these guys go. Like you just said, you're getting him in the 50s. In a many scenarios, you are likely going to get him after those top three. NFBC total drafts, just throwing this out to everybody. He actually is going before Ozzy Albies. Uh, if I was just looking at that correctly, I believe he's going at 45 in the full 270 NFBC drafts where Ozzy Albies was going uh, 50 or true ADP of 52. So he's a little bit above that. I'm a little bit of the belief. I know we kind of were having a discussion about jazz and his ability to stay healthy. I think that is uh, obviously a concern you could have out there. I think part of the team's movement on this is not just built around, you know, flexibility and getting a true center fielder. I think it's also about health. Obviously there's different injuries. Fernando Tatis juniors is also built around that. There are different injuries that are going on and jazz seems to be one of those guys. It almost looks like it's pulling into like Giancarlo Stanton. He just, picks up something here, picks up something there. And we really want to hope that he's not going to be in injured prone territory, but he is a dynamic, dynamic, at least four category player with the potential to be anywhere from a two elite to four elite player. The batting average is always in question. And this position kind of stinks. Altuve is safer. Simeon has similar warts in how he struggled in the first half. He's got some of those swings that I think Jazz has. Swings as in, you know, ups and downs. And Ozzy Albies has got some major question about where the counting stats are going to go. So I look at Jazz, even in that time, he lowered his strikeout percentage a little bit last year. I believe, I believe in the counting stats. I believe that move to center field, a little bit more flexibility can keep him healthy. I th- I believe I'm going to sit in that, that he's going to be able to be healthier. And this is a guy that seems and feels like a lock for 2020. And I want to lock that in on my second base. And I like him even a little bit more than Marcus Simeon. So that's my top guy. And he comes at a little bit of a value. Look, I love the player. I have his jersey. He's one of my favorite players to watch, but I am typically risk averse when it comes to drafting. I wrote him up in my breakouts column. He's going in the fifth round. I think if you have two relatively safe hitters in the first two rounds, maybe you mix a starting pitcher in there round three and round four. If you can get Jazz as your third hitter in round five, I feel pretty good about that. At that point, I'm willing to take the risk. If you have a Jose Ramirez on your team, a Kyle Tucker, and then maybe in the second round, you get a third baseman or Paul Goldschmidt. If you're getting Jazz and, you know, the end of round four, or early round five is your third hitter, I think you have enough of a base already built up where you can take that risk. So, yeah. And, you know, I just wanted to add, too, there, there's an interesting situation that's going on with this as well. You know, we were talking about that third round. Scott, you're saying if you you got to commit to the third round. There's only so much to go around with the fantasy problems that we have in drafts. Right. We don't like third base. We don't like second base. Outfield is a disaster if you don't take care of it. And then there's a pitching question. Do you avoid the, do you do early starters? Do you do late? Okay, turn it around. Where do you get relievers? You're going to get them in the third round, late second or third. So you've got to decide who are you? Relievers, outfield, third base, second base. In the first four rounds, you have got to take care of two of those. You're most likely not going to take care of all of those. So that is another reason. It's a little bit cheating uh, as far as values and stuff go. But like, I really am going to have a lot of shares of Jazz more than any of these other guys because they fit my program of where I want to jump into drafts and the priorities I want to take instead of jumping into these guys. Because I also think these four 
are that tier and they're all good and you get the best value on Jazz right now, though he is yeah. a little bit more volatile. Yeah, I mean, you could certainly make, like I, I encourage people to make their own tiers and obviously you're going to make your own tiers. Uh, but just in everyone listening out there uh, based on your own comfort level, I think if you're tiering players with primarily upside in mind, it makes sense to have Chisholm with Altuve, Simeon and, and Albies. Uh, particularly, I, I mean, Altuve excels, I think, in, in ways maybe that Chisholm can't, but Simeon and Albies could, uh, could end up with uh, so Chisholm could end up with very similar stat lines to them, but there's also a downside risk that's causing me to drop Chisholm behind those two, and that's the fact that he hasn't. We haven't seen him play anywhere close to a full season yet, and doesn't mean he never will. But um, I would rather pay the two round premium to to get somebody who I am I feel more confident will be around for the full season, and if it doesn't work out. You know, I'm happy to fall back on Chisholm. I, I think I did take him in our latest Roto Mock, and that's probably about round five. Unlike when we were at first base, we were talking about how I had Matt Olson tiered by himself in, in the near elite, and I wasn't sure that I'd really be that eager to take him, even though he had a tier all to himself. Uh, Chisholm, I would say, I'd be more likely to do that, given, uh, given how much thinner second base is as a whole. Let's move over to the next best things tier, which includes Tommy Edmond, Andres Jimenez, and Max Muncy. This is a big, it's a it's a wide gap in terms of ADP. 74 through 142, uh, Edmond going at 74, Jimenez at 86, and Max Muncy down at 142. This one feels a little format dependent, Scott. You know, I have no issue taking Edmond or Jimenez in round seven or eight in a categories league. And then if it's in a points league, you know, maybe I'll jump Muncy a round or two to make sure I get him in that format if he's the last remaining second baseman. The one I wanted to focus on here is Jimenez, who overperformed his stat cast numbers by quite a bit last season, but I do think that he is a candidate to improve his steals, whether it's by five or 10 or however many. We know the rules that are coming in should lead to more steals. And Andres Jimenez was 94th percentile sprint speed. So he is one that stands out to me, Scott, where it wouldn't surprise me if we get 25 to 30 steals from him. No, it wouldn't surprise me if we got 25, 30 steals from him. But I, I don't think 25, 30 steals is going to be as impressive to us either as useful to us uh i i think like jimenez is an early candidate to be in busts 1.0 for me because of how much he overachieved as as a hitter according to Statcast. and you know we've seen other hitters um randy rosarena who show they can outperform Statcast year after year but when you only done it once it's it's a little harder to buy into that in Jimenez's case, and you know, I've I've drafted Jimenez to be my starting second baseman once already for this year, so it's not like there's not a point where I would take him, but it does feel like a resignation. Again, we're talking about a very small tier here through just three names after only four other second basemen ahead of this tier. So, you know, at some point, you just have to take a second baseman, and sometimes it is Jimenez for me. But, but yeah, I I, I think he's a bit risky, and um, not somebody I go into drafts targeting. All right, let's move over to the fallback options. This is another wide range of ADP from 123 to 220. This includes Cattell Marte, Jorge Polanco, Brandon Lau, Glaber Torres, and Vaughn Grissom. It's an interesting group. Um, I will point out, Glaber and Grissom are one tier lower in a head-to-head points league. The market is basically done with Cattell Marte. He's the one where the ADP is down at 220. It's kind of like what we said about Anthony Rendon yesterday, where he was down in the same range. The market right now is that they're just basically done with those two players. Uh, There are some bounce-back candidates here, and that includes Cattell Marte, Jorge Polanco, and Brandon Lau. Welsh, uh, let's say you don't get a Jazz or an Altuve or one of those top four guys. Do you like anyone from this group? Who is most likely to bounce back from specifically those three? Cattell Marte, Jorge Polanco, Brandon Lau. Okay, so yeah, that's interesting. How you said it, when you change it right at the end, bounce back is an interesting question because I think a lot of people that know me might think I would go to Cattell Marte. It's really not. Uh, I do think there's a bounce back potential. So 
from as far as investment goes, I'm probably not going to jump into it, though I do understand it, especially if the Diamondbacks at the top of their order, if they're going to have Corbin Carroll and Jake McCarthy, and it's going to go bang, bang, and they're going to be stealing at rates, especially Corbin Carroll that I think they're going to, Cattell Marte is going to hit three, and that's a pretty good spot if he can return back to making the type of contact and not swinging through his shoes at every single step, which he does absolutely trying to murder every ball hit him. He has, I've said this a million times, he always has some insane max EV. It's like 115, 118 every single year. He's near the top, but he doesn't tap into it at all times and he overpresses. So I don't see where they're going to start having him run, especially with the young guys they have on this team. So I don't see that. I could see the batting average coming back and maybe he gets back to 20 homers. So I can see it, but it's not where I'm going to invest. Polanco is probably the one I think is the safest because Scott kind of said this. This is what's so gross about this position. We talked about four and then we fell off of a cliff (laughs) and then we hit a rock and we fell off of another portion of the cliff into this range. It's so dramatic to think that Jorge Polanco and Cattell Marte and even Max Muncy are the best back-end options for second base right now. It doesn't compare to most other positions what you can get at 8, 9, 10. And I think all of these guys are limited, I think, in their overall potential. But Jorge Polanco, I, I like the offense. I like what Minnesota does overall in general. 20 homer potential, maybe double-digit stolen bases. Bat X has got him at 22-9 and nine for this upcoming season. Brandon Lau is another fun, fun one to base off of, especially if you can get that 30 homers. I just struggle with the batting average on him. Polanco is my most likely player that I'm going to invest in of those guys and kind of also ends a tier where I go, oh man, I screwed up. Like if you don't have like a Polanco, I've really screwed up. And you better hope that I've put the positions together in a really good spot because then what I'm probably likely to do in deeper leagues is try to get like a middle, you know, I'm probably going to go with a higher end shortstop to fill my middle and then just get a category boost. You know, I might go later into like a Rojas or something like that. But Polanco to me is kind of like a solid, even 2010 250 to 260 second baseman that completely ends a tier. And I would take him over Cattell Marte. And this is exactly why we break down the tiers the way that we do, Scott. And and yesterday we talked about how we're more likely to wait at first base. This is why. You can get a Jose Altuve or a Marcus Semien in round three, and you could get, you know, like a Christian Walker or an Anthony Rizzo around pick, you know, 120, 130. Or you can take Matt Olson in round three as your first baseman, but then you have to take one of these second basemen as your starters. And to me, it just doesn't equate. I'd much rather just wait at first base where I think those guys are are much better players at their respective position and, mm-hmm. and get that lock in second baseman. So that's that's really the, the point of doing this exercise. Yeah, and, and if you're I think where it gets tricky is if you're just looking at name value, because a year ago, Cattell Marte, Jorge Polanco, Brandon Lau, these were all considered like must start high end second baseman. And so, you know, they've done it before. Why can't they do it again? And yeah, they could do it again. It's very, very unlikely all three of them are going to bounce back. Just the odds are against that happening. I agree with Chris that Polanco is my favorite of them to bounce back. He's actually in Sleepers 1.0 for me, which is already published on the site. He, uh, I, I talked about how Andres Jimenez underperformed or outperformed to stack house numbers. Jorge Polanco underperformed them. The expected batting average, the expected slug. He uh, showed pretty good power in between injuries last year. I, I don't think we're going to see him be a 33 homer guy again, but he has a knack for pulling the ball in the air, which is a good way to maximize power in this environment. And he actually had a pretty good home run pace last year, like I said. Uh, it's always been a high line drive rate guy. Uh, so I think there's a higher batting average ceiling than most people give him credit for. And he has 75th percentile sprint speed. So even though he hasn't been a much of a base dealer in the past, he's somebody who I think could see his uh, his totals explode this year um, and, and maybe even approach 20 steals. I think that's within the realm of possibility for Polanco. So there is certainly high-end upside there, and I think his reasons for dropping off last year aren't as obvious as they are for Cattell Marte and Brandon Lau. Um, so I like him as, I mean, he's in the tier here, the fallback options. I've, I've called a few guys a fallback option here at this position, but I think using that term 
as accurately as I can, uh, Jorge Polanco is maybe the best description of it. This is like the I'm drowning territory. Like, (laughs) please get me out. I'm really drowning. This is the last hand that can help you before it gets really bad. If Scott doesn't get one of his elite second baseman, he's like, all right, well, uh, I guess I'll go with one of the fallback options, which is the rest of the position, basically. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, anybody else. Uh, I'm going to put on my Homer hat for a second. I actually can't reach my, my Yankees hat from here, but... Scott, I do think that Glaber Torres deserves a little more recognition. Maybe he should be in a tier higher than this, and I'll just make my case, and you can feel free to disagree. Uh, last year, he bounced back in a big way. 257, 24 home runs, 10 steals. The counting stats were okay. They were solid, uh, obviously, in the Yankees lineup. He changed his approach completely. He was much more aggressive, which is how he played earlier on in his career when he was amazing. He hit the ball much harder than he had been the, the past couple of seasons. Labor Torres finished 77th overall in Roto last year. His ADP is 123. And Scotty has him in a tier with these schlubs. <laughs> I feel like he should be a tier higher. But that's just my that's that's my argument, Scott. Uh, he's, a, he's a pretty good home run hitter for the position. Below average batting average. Speed. You know, he, he did have double-digit steals last year, but he's not... I don't think he's fast enough that I see him improving much in that area. So I don't know. He seems, he seems pretty boring to me. Um, boring is good, Scott. Can I yeah. throw in, can I throw in? Cause I, I actually, you're going to, Scott's going to probably hate this. I have him at second baseman six right now. And I have him at, um, in a, in a much higher tier. It, I mean, technically if you're going by tiers, it's like my fourth tier, which you ended up calling it this. I don't quite see it as that, but a couple things that stood out to me on Glaber was, um, power numbers were interesting. He had the fourth highest slug among qualified second baseman with a 459, but X slug, led all second baseman at 449. This is something I did. I actually did this in our buddy uh, Joe PCPS Black Book. I wrote this. I enjoyed looking at this. When you go and look at other ballpark factors, this is a wild one. When you look at the ballpark factors across players in other places, and Cincinnati is always the fun one to really see, like where could the power numbers build? 41 homers were projected in uh, Cincinnati when you build that, which is just an absolutely absurd number for him. And also, uh, he led all second basemen with uh, average EV of 90.4. So, I mean, the hard hit numbers really were there. X slug was behind. I think there's, and the numbers were pretty solidly there and they haven't traded him yet. So I don't know when he's in New York, I'm, I'm a buyer on Glaber Torres in those like later middle rounds. So is the argument, Oh well, I think he can hit more than twenty-four home runs. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think the envi- I think the environment breeds to it. His the highest X slug among all second basemen. I think there's more power potential in there. I've always thought Labor Torres could be in the general ballpark of a thirty home run hitter. I would not count that out. I wouldn't make the bet to draft that he's going to be that guy. But I would not be shocked if he's leading second baseman in home run, or at least in the top three of these guys. I just think the environment, the team, makes him a solid option. I actually label him as a solid option at second base when all things get screwed up. I'd rather have him than Polanco. I'd rather have him than quite a few of these players. I have him in the same tier as Andres Jimenez. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I guess I guess it's just more faith in the player than I have because he was so disappointing for power prior to last year. Like it felt like him defying the odds just to get up to 24 that, to you know, to think he's going to approach 30 again. That's, that's, that's a stretch for me, but <laughs> believing in him obviously makes approaching second base easier. So that's, I guess. And also like, I'm not like sitting over here, like, I'm pro Glaber Torres. Got to have all the, no, I like him. I think he's a good, we t- I already said like, you missed the top four. Woof. It's pretty brutal. Then you're going to have to start making some really tough cuts and some tough decisions a little bit later on. I just think Torres is involved in those d- difficult decisions before things really fall off the rails. All right, let's go over to the last resorts tier. This is a pretty massive tier, so I'm not going to read off all the names. You guys got the rundown yeah. so you could see it. Uh, I, uh, You know, it's, it's the reason it's so big is because I decided to get rid of a tier that we talked about in first and third base. I noticed the that. The deep leaguers. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I I thought it was su- superfluous, and you know, it, it, if if you have so many tiers that they're all really small, they kind of become not helpful. You know, 
Yeah, I mean, especially so the deeper you go into a position too, Scott, I think you can start to clump more names together too. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, because it's 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 just so much personal preference at that point. The There were three names here that stood out for me. Uh, Jonathan India, I would make a similar argument that I think he probably deserves to be in the previous tier as well. He suffered a hamstring injury in April. I believe that that completely derailed his season. He was never the same after that. And, you know, we saw what his upside was back in 2021 when he was the 64, uh, 65th overall player and he won the National League Rookie of the Year. Tyro Estrada, he was a top 100 player last season. He hit 260 with 14 home runs and 21 steals. Not really sure what to make of him. Uh, and I'll just quickly mention Gene Segura. I will forever love Gene Segura. I don't care that he's on the Marlins anymore. As a fallback <laughs> middle infield option, he is boring, but he gets it done. It's a good batting average. It's 10 to 15 home runs. It's 10 to 15 steals. And he's rock solid. So I you will take Gene Segura every year. A trend we saw, too, in the mock that uh, Frank joined me on in this league was Luisa Rise went crazy high in the mock that we did. I mean, we're talking like eighth or ninth round, and I went to take a look. And NFBC, he has a high pick of 118. I mean, just outside the top 100. Yikes. So there's a li- I'm not saying I'm a big – I mean, listen, the, the empty counting stats don't really help a whole lot. But I, it's not out of the realm of possibility that that game doesn't change a little bit as a batting champion, hitting in the top of an order. Maybe if we can get runs up, maybe he runs a little bit more. It's just interesting to see and probably is more like, oh, this is a new guy that moves to a new team. We're seeing an uptick in Luis Arise, I think, in drafts right now. NFBC, and we just saw it in a draft that we just did live. Scott, anything on uh, Jonathan India and Tyro Estrada? If Tyro Estrada didn't play for the Giants, I'd like him a lot more. Uh, but he's it's where did he come from? Can can he possibly continue this? I thought you were going to start Will- singing Cotton Eye Joe. Where did yeah. you come from? Where did you go? Where did you come from? Tyro Estrada. I mean, it's, I hadn't heard of him before last year, and even early on last year. I mean, like, former great Yankee prospect. So come on, Scott, former great Yankee <laughs> prospect. How did you not know him? AFL in 2018, baby. There you go. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Giants. They have so few lineup fixtures that it would take so, it would take so like I was amazed they played him as much as they did last year and you know they're going to be looking for opportunities to get one, one more Flores in the lineup so he like if he doesn't hit the ground running at the start of next year does he become just this part time player who wasn't worth investing and in? I I think that's a very very plausible scenario so it, it'd have to be pretty late for me to draft him. All right, fair enough. The leftovers here, another one filled with a bunch of players. Three that stood out to me. Jonathan Aranda, I want to see what he could do with semi-regular playing time with the Tampa Bay Rays. He's had some strong minor league numbers. Bryson Stott had 12 steals last year, and he was 91st percentile sprint speed. I think he's a candidate to maybe jump up to 20 steals this season. Nick Gordon, just sneaky stat cast numbers. 80th percentile average exit velocity, 86th percentile expected slug. Slightly interested. Deeper leagues, put him on your watch list, you know, maybe take a stash on him in, in the deepest of leagues, you know, 15 teamers, AL only, something like that. Um, but those are three names that stood out to me. Scott, anything with this group? Uh, okay. So I know you can... love Michael Massey, so if you... <laughs> I do love Michael Massey. Got the gig, and... too, it looks like now, too. Locked in. Right, with that, the Adalberto Montesi trade, that was one thing we didn't get a chance to to bring up. I do love him. I do like him a lot. Let's see. Let's see if he's able to get regular at bats because there's there's certainly still a scenario there with Nicky Lopez where he doesn't for the Royals. Um, but I like the quality of contact, um, the fact he doesn't strike out much, and you know Chris uh, Chris was talking about the expected home runs by Park and uh, Cincinnati is the fun one but Michael Massey hit only four home runs in his nearly 200 plate appearances in the majors last year if he played all those games in Cincinnati it would have been 15 now he's not playing in Cincinnati he's still playing in Kansas City but that just gives that gives you an indication of the 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 sort of contact Massey makes, and if that distribution home and away was just a little different, you know, he, he might have ended up with much more impressive numbers. Among second basemen with at least 100 batted ball events last season, 
Michael Massey's 13% barrel rate was third best behind only Jazz Chisholm and Nolan Gorman. So again, in deeper leagues, I, I am with you, Scott. I, I think there is something there with Michael Massey. Uh, let's take a break. Before we do that, just want to remind everyone, it's been a while since we've mentioned the Facebook group that we have, but if you want to interact with the Fantasy Baseball Today community, you could do that at our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash fantasy baseball today. Uh, you can ask any type of off-season type question that you have, keepers, draft strategy, dynasty leagues. It's a fun group. There's people there at, uh, asking and answering questions uh, at this very moment while we're doing the podcast. Uh, you could also find the link in the podcast and the YouTube description. And we do have some mailbag podcasts that are coming up in the month of February. So send in your question, email at fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Uh, and we'd really appreciate uh, questions as part of five-star Apple Podcast reviews. We're closing in on 3,000, which is a pretty big milestone. And the bosses like that kind of stuff. So if you want to help us out, five-star rating on Apple, throw a question in there. We'll answer it on an upcoming mailbag podcast. Let's take a break, and we'll be back right after this. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Let's hit some news and notes before we get to shortstop tiers. And Welsh, our guy, Jeffrey Springs, signed a four-year, $31 million extension with the Tampa Bay Rays. The deal can max out at $65.75 million if they pick up his 2027 option. And this stands out to me because the Rays aren't usually quick to hand out money, which tells me they must like Jeffrey Springs uh, quite a bit. And why wouldn't they? Among starting pitchers with at least 130 innings pitched last season, Springs ranked 15th in K-minus walk rate, 13th in swinging strike rate, and each of his FIP, XFIP, Sierra, XERA were 3.32 or less. I like Jeffrey Springs mm. a lot. Is he the highest paid Ray of all time now? Is he the <laughs> richest Ray in the history of ever? Also, uh, sneakily, is a relief pitch, pitcher qualification. If you decide to be a saves punt guy in leagues this year, or you play in points leagues and you want to do the right thing at relief pitcher, if you have a relief pitcher spot and you want to get a starter in there, Jeffrey Springs, even more valuable in those formats. But uh, good to see him mm. get locked in. In the formats where he does qualify as reliever however that's not the cbs standard he falls i think he uh, just two, just two missed, relief yeah. appearances short of that yeah yeah Ugh. so little sneak peek but <laughs> we were doing our mock draft on espn and and that's where uh, he is relief pitcher eligible so and he's in a couple other spots as well he's in a couple yeah. other spots i think uh fan tracks he's also it wouldn't surprise me of yahoo either i mean if you've ever thought about playing a position then you you probably have that eligibility <laughs> oh you on stepped yahoo. on the base you got it <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, starling marte who is coming off core muscle surgery will be a full go for spring training which is music to my ears because I've already drafted him on like three of four teams that I've drafted. So I'm all in on Starling Marte. I think he's a good value. Similarly to Andrew Painter with the Phillies, Marlins top pitching prospect Yuri Perez received an invitation to spring training camp. Cesar Hernandez signed a minor league deal with the Tigers. And we do have some reliever news. Paul Sewald, who's recovering from minor elbow and heel procedures, could miss the start of spring training. Sounds like he'll be good for the start of the season, however. Michael King, recovering from a fractured right elbow, expects to be ready for opening day. TJ Antone, remember that guy? A blast mm. from the past. He's recovering from Tommy John surgery. He's been slowed by a right forearm injury. 
no bueno. And Ken Giles. Yeah, that Ken Giles. Uh, he will throw for teams on February 8th. Uh, he only threw a whopping four and a third innings last season. Let's move over to a shortstop, and we'll start with the best around. Trey Turner, who is now with the Phillies, has an ADP of two. You're likely going to see him go anywhere from one to three. I mean, maybe he could slip a little bit beyond that in drafts, but specifically in Roto Leagues, he is going to be a top three pick, and rightfully so. He has not finished lower than sixth in Roto each of the past three years. He averaged 3.4 fantasy points per game last year, which led the uh, position. One thing I wanted to point out with him, he's still 99th percentile in sprint speed. I think he's one of these guys, Scott, where if anyone blows up and we see a 40, 50 steal kind of guy, I think it could be Trey Turner. Very sneakily, the Phillies were fifth in steals last season. Think about that team. They're not loaded with burners or anything. It's like Kyle Schwarber had 10 steals. Bryson Stott had 12 steals. I think even Castellanos had seven. They were really aggressive on the base paths. I think you could see that with Trey Turner this season as well. I mean, when he first got called up and was still playing for the Nationals, uh, you look at those early career paces he was on, and, and he was he was somebody we were thinking could steal 70 bases then. He kept getting hurt, so it never happened. Uh, and then he kind of transformed his game as he became more powerful and was on better teams. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's a candidate to... I think there are going to be a few players who steal more than 50 bases this year, and he would be among the candidates to do that, I would say. Um, again, this is another position like third base with Jose Ramirez, where we have a, an extra tier at the top, you know, just with Trey Turner in it. And those are, that, that's to indicate the, the, the players that, that that's, you know, just to, to set aside the players who clearly need to be drafted among the top five picks, like obvious first rounders. You don't even have to, they have to be all gone before you really even, uh, consider tiers. And Trey Turner, as you're saying, with an ADP of two, was it? Yep. Uh, is among them. The elite tier at shortstop includes uh, an ADP from 15 through 60, so quite the range here, rounds two through five. Fernando Tatis Jr., Bo Bichette, Bobby Witt Jr., Francisco Lindor, and Corey Seager. Bobby Witt moves down a tier in head-to-head points because of his plate discipline, and Corey Seager moves down a tier in Roto and categories leagues because he doesn't run. He's a really good plate discipline. Obviously, that helps. In you were, you were inside my head for those little designations, Frank. That those are exactly the reasons <laughs> why they would drop a tier in those respective formats. Yes. Right, yeah, you know, maybe we're back on track a little bit here, Scott. Maybe. You and I sharing a brain. Breaking uh, news for all the podcasts: Scott and Frank are back. They are friends again. Uh, <laughs> no longer choking Scotty out. Anymore. Yeah. Turmoil is over. <laughs> the Glaber uh, tour of. Glaber Torres drove a wedge between us, but yeah. we've mended. Yeah, we're past that. We're past Glaber yeah. Torres. Let's talk about Fernando Tatis, who I believe to be one of the biggest wild cards in fantasy baseball this season. He finished fifth overall in just 130 games back in 2021. He hit 282, 42 homers, and 25 steals. Since then, just going to run through the timeline. He injured his wrist in a motorcycle accident last offseason. He had surgery to repair a fractured scaphoid bone. He was getting ready to return in August when he got hit with a, an 80-game PED suspension. He then had his partially torn labrum uh, in his shoulder repaired in September. He had a second wrist operation in early October uh, to help that wrist, quote, hold up long-term, which, you know, why, why didn't they just fix it the first time they did it? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a doctor. Anyway, uh, he's cleared for baseball activities, should be good to go in spring training. He's eligible to, to debut on April 20th. Welsh. Are you willing to take the plunge early to mid-second round on Fernando Tatis Jr.? Well, I'm a, I'm kind of a sucker. I'm a sucker for big, big tools and big potential, even though there's big risks. Uh, he was one of my favorite players. I hated the stuff that was going on with him. In 2021, it was such like a bonkers year. He had ranked top 1% in X-Slug of the league. Remember X-Slug, not his actual slug. It's expected. Uh, top 2% in max exit velocity, average exit velocity, and hard hit percentage top 3% in Woba and top 4% next Woba and next WobaCon. All of that is to just be like every underlying stat was just in favor of the monster he was. But in that period of time, there's a PED suspension. There's injuries that put a lot of major questions in it. Projection systems are not with it. Even with the missed games, essentially the missed April, he is going to outperform every single shortstop. 
the qualified shortstop in the game, according to it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm looking at the bad X, 36 homers, 22 stolen bases, this is Derek Cardi system over 125 games. And I really believe he's going to be, you know, back to himself. My problem is the investment in a guy that you don't get for a month. This isn't like Bryce Harper. We know he's going to be back. Well, we know he's going to be back, you know, back to normal. He's not going in injured in this case. I do think there's scenarios. I think Roto, I'm a lot more likely. 12-man Roto, I'm way more likely to, or actually you went in 12-man, 15-man Roto with like a like a 10 to 11 pick or even in that 8-9 range, somewhere in that clump, I would be willing to take the risk. In a head-to-head 12-team, what I was trying to say, I might do it if I had like a wheel pick in like the top three and I could swing back and get early picks. Those would be the scenario. I would really be very specific because of the missed time, but I'm not really worried about the PEDs taking away from his game. I think he is an elite, elite player. Um, we didn't see crazy, you know, body changes as far as it just breaking apart uh, that, you know, PEDs would have had a big change on. I believe we're going to get right back to it. Big hard hit numbers, big elite stats. And I think there are, I think it's just a tiny bit more situational, which makes it yucky sometimes like you don't like to have players that it's you're kind of situational with you're like well you know if i'm in this spot then i can do it you just like to take players where you can take them wherever and you just got to be a little bit more careful with tatis though he does also qualify at outfield if you really screw yourself up in drafts the shortstop position is so deep that you can go you can throw in you get a jeremy pena past top 100 and tatis can play an outfield for you uh it should be in most formats Scott, I don't think Tatis has outfield eligibility on CBS, does he? Not yet, but Not yet, the but expectation he is they'll pick it up early on. Right. So that's, you know, that's incentive to take a chance on him. Yeah. I have him as a 17th overall player in Roto. So that's um, I think that's aggressive. That's actually I'm actually surprised. That's pretty aggressive. I haven't actually drafted him yet, despite ranking him there. there there's always that one person who wants to take the big swing early and that I am usually not the first person who does. So, uh, in, in fact, I'm usually someone who shies away from the big swing early. You know, and, and we could have said the same thing about Ronald Acuna at this time last year. He got pushed up into round one before things were all done. Uh, but I am inclined to think Tatis will be Tatis when he does return. Yeah. And it'll be by the end of the year, we won't even think it about that month. He wasn't available to you. The near elite tier is uh, basically the seventh round of ADP from 72 to 84 in a 12 team league. It includes Dansby Swanson, Xander Bogarts and O'Neill Cruz, who is one tier lower in head to head points, obviously because of his big strikeout rate. Dansby Swanson going over to the Cubs, Xander Bogarts going over to the Padres. To be totally honest, I don't love the move for either one. Dansby Swanson coming off a career year. I typically do not buy in on the career year moving to a new team type player. That's just something I try to avoid typically. Xander Bogarts just hit 15 home runs in Fenway Park, a park that was 12th in home run factors for right-handed batters. Petco is 19. So I, I really don't even know what the power looks like at this point for Xander Bogarts. If I'm taking a shot here, Scott, in this tier, it's going to be O'Neill Cruz, who, like Tatis, not to the same level, he is an X-factor for fantasy. He could return first-round value. He could be in the minor leagues by June. I mean, there is a massive <laughs> range of outcomes here, but there is one where he hits 40 home runs and steals 30 bases. Yeah, based on the way his rookie season went, and especially September when he got the strikeout rate down, I'm not... I'm not as concerned about the downside risk for O'Neill Cruz as I thought I might be, as I might normally be for somebody who strikes out as much as he does. And his game just seems kind of all around kind of raw. Um, the upside is huge. And like, even if you just project his partial season numbers last year over a full season, I mean, it's still going to justify the ADP as a 230 hitter because there's going to be enough home runs, enough stolen bases there. Uh, I would say from this tier, he's also the one I'm most excited to draft, even though I only have him in this tier in five by five leagues and not points. It, this is this is a tough stretch of the rankings um, for tiers. I even looking at it now, I don't feel totally comfortable with the way I broke it down. Of course, Corey Seager, and if we're talking five by five scoring, is also in this tier. Um, he was in the previous tier just for points league. So that makes it look a little better. You know, we, we talk about shortstop being a deep position and a deep position, especially 
during like the meat of drafts. And so that's, you know, I feel like this tier should be bigger. I look and see, oh, I have Xander Bogarts in this tier and I have Carlos Correa in the next tier. And are they really that different? Especially since like you, I don't know that Bogarts is going to be quite a 20 homer guy anymore in San Diego. Um, do I need to combine? Because, you know, the next tier we're going to get into is much bigger than this tier. Do I need to, I don't know. Do I need to sort those two tiers differently? Is Dan, is Dansby Swanson, are Dansby Swanson and Xander Bogarts really in a different class from um, Tim Anderson and Carlos Correa, specifically if we're talking a five-by-five five context? And uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't feel totally comfortable with it. So let's I, talk about it when, with the next tier. I, I think there's an argument to just combine all these names together here, Scott, because you're right. There is a meat part of this draft, which now would if we just combine these tiers, it goes from 72 to 121. That is a pivotal point of the draft. You're talking about from rounds 7 through 10 in a 12-team league. And if you don't get a shortstop by the end of round 10, which I will show you in the next tier... It, it falls off very quickly. Well, so Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. If I just combine the, the, this tier with Swanson, Bogarts, and Cruz with the next tier, then there's basically no fourth tier at shortstop. Like, that's just kind of the end of the position because <laughs> yeah. the drop-off is so steep after that. And then there's also this annoying issue of Tommy Edmond, and I have him below the Swanson tier at second base. Yeah. So there'd be like an inconsistency. You know what I'm saying? Like I have to keep the tiers consistent between positions as well. It's just a frustrating behind the curtain sort of thing that makes it harder. Yeah, I was going to say. Let's actually, let's actually reveal the names from the next short so, stop here so we can stop talking about it vaguely. The next best things tier includes Tommy Edmond, Tim Anderson, Carlos Correa, Wander Franco, Willie Adamas, and Jeremy Pena. Pena is one tier lower in a head-to-head points league. For this exercise, like I wouldn't even consider Tommy Edmond a shortstop because whoever's drafting him is more than likely using him at as a second baseman. There could be a situation where that person drafted Semyon and you know maybe they draft just they just want Edmond as a shortstop. But I think more often than not, Edmond is being drafted as a second baseman. Yeah, that's true. And and that's fine to do that in your head, but I can't leave Tommy Edmond yeah, shortstop I, I, yeah. eligible Tommy Edmond <laughs> I get out it, of the I shortstop tiers. Yeah. Um, and, and as I was saying, so this is the next best things tier. He's in the next best things at second base. So if I were to shift this next best things tier at shortstop up to the near elite, what would that mean for Tommy Edmond at second base? Uh, does he need to be tiered with Jazz Chisholm? I don't think any of us would want to do that. No. Um, so yeah, those internal consistencies that maybe nobody cares about but me, <laughs> nonetheless, are very important to me. <laughs> and... Uh, and so that's why I end up with this murky situation at shortstop where it's really two tiers that don't have a clear distinction between them, which kind of suggests they're not distinct tiers. And so, yeah, I'm not sure the best way to handle it. But what, I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, if you're at the point in the draft where Dansby Swanson, Xander Bogarts need to be taken, but, you know, another uh, another position's active tier is nearing depletion as well. Prioritize that other position instead because the next tier at shortstop is very deep and and not as far apart as you'd think. And I love this tier too. Tim Anderson, when he's on the field, he's still a really productive player. The problem, he's missed 32% of his game since the start of 2019 due to injury. Carlos Correa is back with the Twins. Uh, he was really good last year, hit for good batting average, you know, 22 to 25 home runs. The Bad luck with the counting stats, but I, I think we expect those to get back on track. Willie Adamas was just the 48th best player in Roto last season. He now has an ADP of 92, which makes no sense. It, it makes absolutely no sense. So I, I'm totally fine waiting and winding up with Willie Adamas. Whilst the one that I struggle with the most when it comes to ranking is Wander Franco. What do we do with Wander Franco? He had a quad injury pop up in April last year. I don't think he was ever right. Now, maybe I'm just kind of simplifying it. I made the excuse for Jonathan India. I'm making the same excuse for Wander Franco, but I watched games where he just didn't look right. And then he had a handmate bone injury in July. It was pretty much a lost season for him. He has played 153 regular season games. So far, he's hit 282 with 13 home runs and 10 steals. 
I mean, that's Gene Segura. It's like we haven't seen this elite prospect hit his ceiling yet, and I don't know if he's going to. It's obviously way too early to say, but what are your thoughts on Wander Franco, and you know, how are you ranking him this season? Yeah, I think you kind of said it. It's a little too early to say because if you go back and look, he had like a monstrous start to the year. In that March, April, he hit 313. He had four homers, three stolen bases in one month. Monstrous. It was Mookie Betts' monstrous month that he can put up. But still, you know, you put that over the season, he would have been projecting out to look like a 2020 guy. And he looked like, you know, his body has grown a little bit bigger. He was still stealing bases. He was hitting an elite clip. And then everything just fell apart last year. Injury, injury, never got right. I think timing got off, but he's also still a super, super young player. And I think that's something that's hard to remember for everybody. He's not 22 years old. He's still 21 years old as we're doing this podcast. It's crazy. So I'm not ready, especially with a guy like him. He's not, in my eyes, uh, a Luis Arise who's going to be empty and counting stats. This is a different physical build. This is a different physical approach. He's an aggressive, want-to-swing you know, ball out of stadium type of guy that he's not just going to be looking for straight line drive contact his entire career. This one, he wants to be an impact bat that's going to be in the middle of the order. With all of that said, the position is so deep. We haven't seen enough where he's a guy that I want to make a big bet on this year. But in Dynasty, I do. Like Dynasty, I think he's an incredible buy right now because I think he's at an all-time low. People think he's going to be a 15-15 guy, and he might be. But I think the cost is good. In redraft, I just think there are so many better options. I'm fine if he falls. He's a little bit lower in my tiers than a lot of these guys. Um, He's in my tier four which is kind of like what Scott was saying, where I just have a big clump of a bunch of these shortstops. I've got like six guys that end up being in this, and he's near the bottom of this tier that's got you know Xander Bogarts and Dansby Swanson and Tim Anderson. He's at the bottom where I'll take him if need be, but I'm just not sold. Like you said, I'm going to get more than Gene Segura out of him. I do believe it, though but I just think this is more of a long-term thing. And he does have to prove it. This is a very big prove-it year. He's not Jared Kelnick. You know, Jared Kelnick can't hit. Joe Adele can't hit. Juan Franco can hit. We just don't know what the impact of those hits are going to be. And uh, really, multiple things worked uh, pretty heavily against him last year that I'm hoping it's going to improve. I still believe he can be a 2020 guy. So, like, that bet would be that he can be a 2020 player Worst case, 25-15 if, if he goes a little bit more in power and stolen bases. I think that's where we can get, but that's still not the number one overall player. It looks like he's a little bit capped there. Really, really well said there on Wander Franco. Scott, anything else on this tier? I know there's a lot of names. Yeah, I agree with you that Willie Adamas and, and you know, he's basically the last player in this tier, so it makes sense. He's, he's the shortstop I'm ending up with most often. Um, I'm just content to wait for this fourth tier at this position. Wander Franco, since we brought him up, more attractive in points leagues, obviously, because the strikeout rate being so low helps helps make up for his power deficiencies, whether they continue or not. Uh, but he's still in the same tier for me. Still the fourth tier in points leagues. He's maybe maybe the order in the tier within the tier changes a bit, but um, I'm not willing to call Franco a third tier shortstop in that format either. All right, the fallback options, just two names here, Javier Baez and Ezekiel Tovar, who is one of the top prospects in the Rockies organization. Javier Baez was awful his first year with the Detroit Tigers. They made some changes to the dimensions in Comerica Park, so hopefully that can help. And, you know, second year in a new place, you know, hopefully he bounces back a little bit. And this is, you know, you mentioned just two players in this fallback options tier. This is normally a big tier at most every other position. So it's... Like you, ha- you should probably have your shortstop by now. Uh, is the is the thing because quickly running out of interesting options, and so we think of it. Oh, deep position. That's true, but that doesn't mean it's one you can wait forever at. Yeah, and that's exactly the point I wanted to get to. When you get to this fallback options here, you just want to make sure you get somebody by the previous year, by the end of the next best things, whether it's a Correa or a Wanda Franco, Willie Adamas, even a Jeremy Pena if you play in a categories league. So definitely be cognizant of that in your drafts. Last resorts. Well, I would make the argument that maybe one or two of these names could be fallback options. So maybe we're going to go back to fighting. Yeah, I could do. 
Um, but for the last <laughs> resorts, Nico Horner, Ahmed Rosario, Jorge Mateo, Adalberto Mondesi, and Tyro Estrada, with Mateo and Mondesi being one tier lower in head-to-head. Welsh, something you need to know about Scott. He hates Ahmed Rosario. I don't know what it is. Why Every year, I bring it up. When Ahmed Rosario gets off to a slow start, he's kind of streaky. All right, he starts to get going. I tell uh, Scott, I'm, Scott, come on, Ahmed Rosario, he's picking it up. He's like, nah, nope, boring. Nope, I'm out. Nope. He just finished yeah. 67th in Roto. He earned $18, according to Razball, and he has an ADP of 135. Scott, yeah, Ahmed Rosario I mean, I is I don't a, get, I don't a value. get how any of that works. He's like, a value. He's only once had a 12 homer season, 12. But he hits he's only he hits once 280 had a 20 plus. steal season. So it's just like really blah production that I guess I I guess the sum adds up to more than the whole adds up to more than the sum of the parts. <laughs> yes. Um but like eh, that's just not the way I want to build. Eh. A road. Who would you team. rather have at cost, Ahmed Rosario or Andres Jimenez this year? That uh, cost him Jimenez because he plays second base. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> uh, Rosario is one of those names that I think could run a little bit more too. He's always had great yeah, sprint speed. He's fast. Uh, I don't he's know fast. why he hasn't run more. I mean, Cleveland is typically pretty aggressive, uh, but really good batting average and, and a good amount of speed from Ahmed Rosario. The left I mean, of- it's not even like he's giving you a Luis Arise type batting average. You know, like yeah. oh, this guy's gonna. It's you know it's two eighty. He's he's a help in the category, but he's not like going to make up for problems. He's not going to make up for a prob a batting average problem on your team. You know, two eighty three is really two, good, Scott. And, two straight years. And, and something that um, Chris Towers says a lot, and he makes this point, is for players who don't walk very much, a three point seven percent walk rate. The batting average actually matters more for those players because those are at bats. They're not turning into plate appearances where he's walking. Those actually count more towards your batting average where he's aggressive and he's putting the ball in play. So uh, I think it just helps also, out a little bit more in, in that way. Also, like he increased, the, the batting average is essentially the same the last two years. He increased his XBA year over year, which is pretty impressive. He almost doubled his barrel percentage and he's got a Cattell Martinez to him, almost a 116 max EV he put up. That's no joke. For if you can consistently tap into that, he's just one of those guys that might consistently tap into that. I, he was a big breakout for me last year. He just didn't live up to the counting stats of what you want. But I just don't Never think 1525 is out of the realm of possibility for a guy like him. He's solid. He's rock solid. He's a high floor play. I, I don't know that he has a huge ceiling at this point. I think he kind of just is who he is. But specifically, if you play in a deeper league, if you miss out on shortstop, if you play in a 15 team roto league, and you get Ahmed Rosario as your starter, you are fine. I think you are doing just fine if you get Ahmed Rosario in that format. Uh, I mean, you probably have the worst starting shortstop. <laughs> see, you see what I'm saying? Well, I Scott mean, he should at least. I, I will. I will say he should be a middle infielder. Like he, we, you do want him as your middle infielder, but like deeper leagues, you can stomach it. Both of you guys hate Ahmed Rosario. Anyway, <laughs> the, the leftovers here is filled with a bunch of names. You can find them on the site. I did want to quickly just wrap up and ask the Welsh a few things about this international free agent class. Uh, first off, a lot of these kids are like 16, 17 years old. We won't see them for the next four to five years, but they are going to be names you need to know in Dynasty and for your first year player drafts. Second, and Welsh is a point I've heard you make on your Prospect One podcast. It's been a really rough go the past couple of years for international free agent prospects. I think there's many theories as to why that's happened, but the fact of the matter is that it is happening and that these guys haven't really turned out to be much uh, in recent years. That doesn't mean it'll continue to be that way, but it's just something to consider. Who are some names that we need to know from the international free agent signings for Dynasty and first-year player drafts? Yeah, it's been awful. It's been awful for years, and people are more... um, put off by international uh, J15, as we call them, prospects than ever before. Um, this is the type of thing where these guys used to be top 10 first-year player picks. They're no longer there. People are wising up, I would say. But I do think the two names you need to know are at the top of the class. Ethan Salas, who's brothers with Jose Salas, who plays with the uh, Miami Marlins. Woo. With or No, I think he actually just got traded to the uh, Minnesota Twins. He was just involved in the Minnesota Twins, so he was out yep. here in the Arizona Fall League. And uh, Felin Selston, who was one of the biggest names for the last couple of years who signed with the Seattle Mariners. So Padres and Mariners. A couple reasons. 
both impact bats. Ethan Salas is my number one. I think he is phenomenal. I think he's poised. He has big power. He's a catcher, which is a little bit crazier, but this is an offensive-based catcher uh, Catcher who also is a great defender, great bloodlines. Uh, Felon Selston is um, physically growing into this really impressive prospect. He's got big power, trained at the same camp that uh, Robert Poisson did. I think he's a little bit more strikeout issues, but here is a unique thing about both these players, unlike a lot of these other guys. Both currently have invites to come to spring training at 16 years old. Wow. Uh, Felman, it's already been confirmed by the Mariners uh, that he is going to be here in Peoria during minor league spring training camps, which is not a common thing that happens with these guys. And, uh, and um, Ethan Salas said it on the MLB Pipeline podcast that his plan is to come out here to air. He's already out here in the States and that he is going to be coming to camp as well. Again, 16 years old, training with 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old prospects. What that leads to is a possibility that they stay here for extended spring training, and then everything opens up. Jackson Churio was maybe going to play complex-level ball this year. He stayed in extended spring training. He blew it up, and they just said, screw it. We're going to send him to A-ball, and he dominated. And look how far he went. Not saying that's going to happen with 16-slash-17-year-old kids, but this is what happened with Marco Luciano. Marco Luciano played in complex league. I believe both Felman Selston and Ethan Sauce will play in complex-level state ball this year, and that is a big testament to things we did not see with the previous class, like Roderick Arias, Christian Vaccaro. It's all a risk. I'm going to take my shot. These are the two biggest names. There's other fun names out there that you could start to go with. Alfredo Duno with the Reds, Yohendri Vargas with the Dodgers, uh, Luis uh, Guanapo, uh, Guanapia, I'm sorry, uh, with the Braves was has been a really high-rising guy that we talked about on my podcast. But Ethan Salas and Felman Selston, if you're going to jump into the pool for J15, those would be the two that I would. All right. We're going to wrap there for Scott and the Welsh. I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again next week. Bye-bye. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.